You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. Welcome back to part two with John David Schrader. I'm so glad you came back, John. We got lots more to talk about. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be back. 21 Summers is the name of your most recent album. Let's just start the show right off with a song from it. Sure. What would be a great opening song for the show? Let's try Lullaby. Great. Let's do it.
John, you're self-published. You have your own publishing company. I do. I can never pronounce it. Is it Mahatnik? How do you, <laughs> how do you pronounce that? It's very simple. It's, uh, it's M-A-H-M-N-I-K. It's Momnik. I, my brother's name is Nick, and I, the first part was for my mom. Momnik. Momnik, yeah. So what is it like to be self-published? I mean, what exactly for our listeners yeah. does that mean? In music, most of the money is made in publishing. As you know, you get something put into like a, a TV show or a film. It's all in the licensing, the mechanical license, the sync license, all that kind of stuff. But the bargaining chip is in publishing. A lot of times people are going to say, listen, we want your stuff in film here. You are the writer, so I get 100% of writer's share. They can't bargain on that because they didn't write it. But where the bargaining tool is, is in publishing. So a lot of times people will say, listen, we'll take 50% of the publishing or we'll take 70, which is ridiculous. I don't do those deals. Or we'll take 30%. You keep 70% of the publishing. And what that basically means is every single time that that piece of music gets played in whatever form of media it is, be it radio, television, or, or a movie, across the country in whatever market, you make money on it. And you get paid through your PRO, which for me is ASCAP. Yeah, speaking of ASCAP, one of the largest publishers in the world, you won some awards, six of them. Not, sure. Not one, not two, not three, but six awards. Right. Over what period of time? I think it was about, I think it was a six-year period. I won like one award a year through ASCAP for my compositions and songwriting and that kind of thing. Do you do things like uh, soundscapes and stuff like that in your studio? No. Um, I was just recently going to start sonic branding because that's like the new thing now, sonic branding. Like, um... For example, you see a Reese's Pieces commercial. There's a there's a, like a ding ding ding. Just a you know, there's people who make so much money on just that three second piece like the three of NBC sonic. Notes. Yeah, ding ding ding. Yeah, that's sonic branding. But every time, and, and I'm writing a book about my life, uh, trying to start a business. But every time I get these ideas, I say to myself, geez, what is wrong with you? As it is, I'm stretched thin, you know, borderline high blood pressure, coronary arrest. Every time I get involved with something, I keep saying yes to something else. So I don't do soundscapes. I used to. I would do just like little instrumental pieces that would kind of start and just meander, which kind of led me into scoring for um, film or TV, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, do you put your stuff up on these websites at all, the flick tracks, click tracks? Or, yeah. Yeah. You, some you, of it. You yeah. Do that stuff. Yeah. Um, I haven't lately because um, I haven't done a lot of instrumental stuff for film or television because I've been so engrossed in working on the new record. But again, like I told you, what goes into making the rock record and everything that's entailed there, even through the, the marketing, I have to do the same exact thing mm -hmm. for instrumental or orchestral works and that kind of that that situation. So it's, it's like four full time jobs just just there. And then I said to myself, hey, I'll write a book about myself. As if anybody would give a damn. But you know what it is? I've been through so much in my life, people always say to me, God, write a book. I got so many like crazy stories. <laughs> You've got a really interesting story here. Yeah. You're a hard worker, and you're an intense guy. I can tell that you, the stuff that you create, it's very it's very personal. It's very important to you. Where does that come from in terms of that type of drive and the musicality? Were there other musicians in your family, other driven people? I was the only one in my family that... My, bro my brother, who's a year older than me, 
Um, I had my brother Bobby was much older than me. We lost him in Vietnam. I have a brother who's one year older than me. He was good. He was better than me at anything that we did. He was better than me in, in sports, and, and I was good, and in music, and you name it. But he was better than me in everything he did. But he just kind of stopped everything that he did. But but as far as my drive, I'm not sure where it comes from. To be honest with you, I don't know if I believe in horoscopes, but I read Aquarius one time because I'm an Aquarius. And it really did sum me up. The drive has nothing to do with anybody else because I really don't care what anybody else thinks. I stopped caring a long time ago. The drive is against myself. People have called me a perfectionist, which I think sometimes is a nice way of saying he's a pain in the ass. <laughs> but I'm not a pain in the ass with that. You know, when, with the band, I would always come with a song and say, listen, here's the recorded version. Let's learn it. If you guys have anything to, that you contribute or change it and it sounds great, yeah, sure, let's do it. So I'm not, I, I call it persistence. It's how you get good records. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I'm never satisfied. I'm never satisfied. And Sting said it beautifully about a song. Um, you never finish a song. You abandon it. Yeah. And that mm. really is the truth. Because you know, Rick, how many times you, you finish recording something, you say, I could have put a glockenspiel there. It never ends. never ends. It never and then ends. before you know it, you got a ridiculous wall of sound, you know. And you have to draw the line somewhere. Right. I mean, I, I've discovered that a lot. There is a point where you have to let go. Right. There is a point that you realize, I'm the only one that understands what's wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. And people have asked me, what, where is that line? And I really don't have an answer. I don't, have I an answer. don't know. I don't know. I just know, all right, the song is done. Mm -hmm. Because I have, like you said, you have to say, all right, you have to shut your mind off and you have to shut off that inner voice and you have to shut that drive down because like you said you can just continually keep going and going and going and i've ha i've been at like parties or you know bars and people would say listen we're going to put your stuff on and i don't like to listen to my stuff i don't like to listen to my own material because and people ask well why and I, because i'm never happy with it i'll listen to it on a on a, a radio or i'll listen to it and i'm thinking oh, i could have done this i could have done that i, I should have compressed it more i could have expanded it more there's always something mm -hmm. so i can't just sit and listen to myself i'm the same way i mean it's like it's like making out with yourself yeah, right, exactly <laughs> <laughs> you know john you've experienced a lot of loss in your yes. life you yeah. know your brother in vietnam you mentioned you mentioned both losing both of your parents to cancer yeah. you had cancer yourself yeah. How does this inform your music, let alone the way you live your life? I mean, there must be some kind of philosophy that you've developed just to deal with all this. Yeah. Um, I, I guess my philosophy, on um, one of my records, I don't know which one it was. I think it was Blood in the Wood. Um, on the actual disc, I... People always, on all my guitars, you'll see like letters like Stevie Ray had, mm -hmm. but mine says B-I-T-W on all my guitars. And people say, what the hell's B-I-T-W? Or well, they'll say, what's Bit-W? And I always tell them it's Blood in the Wood. And it's not just, it's not just the title of a record. It's kind of like a mantra for me. Because when I've played before... I've physically bled on my guitar. I've cut my fingers. You know, you, you tear open your fingers when you're playing. Me too. I don't use a pick. Yeah. So you act, in my necks on my guitar, my DNA, my blood is in there. So what I wrote on that disc is if you're not willing to bleed for it, don't bother picking it up. Mm. And I think that's, that's that drive for me. You'll never hear me say, no, that's good enough. Yeah. And I, I just, I can't be around people who have that mentality when it comes to art. That's good enough. 
I don't even know what the hell good enough means. That means I don't. I'm just too. I don't want to continue. I'm, I'm lazy. I'm bored. You know, I like I said, I'm never satisfied. I'm never happy. But I'll never say, well, that's good enough. So that I guess that's what drives me. That's kind of my mantra. It's a great philosophy. It's why your music is so good. Thank and you. that being said, let's play some more of it. Something off of 21. You know what? Before we play something else off of 21 Summers, how many albums do you have? Somebody asked me that the other day. Technically, four releases on my own label. 21 Summers being the fourth. The brand new one will be the fifth. But I've for years I was putting cassettes out with songs on them that are long gone that I can't even find. Um, so it's... So I don't even know if it was crap or if it was good, but um, so I'm probably technically up around 15, but but you know legitimately four with the fifth coming out. What's your best work, or or can you? It's like trying to choose a favorite child, probably. But is 21 Summers your best work? Yeah, it is. And what I love about every successive album is that I feel that I get better. My sound improves. I narrow my sound down as to. I think who I am and what I am as an artist, which I like because I wouldn't want to put a record out, say now, like 21 Summers, and say, well, the one before that I love the best. Mm. Because then again, the guy who's never satisfied didn't drive himself enough to put a newer record out that he thinks is better than all the ones before, mm. which I do think 21 Summers are better than all the ones before it. And the new one coming out, I think, is going to be much better than 21 Summers. Do you have a name for it? I do. Uh, Everything You've Never Said. Everything You've Never Said. Yes. Uh, Another great title. Again, more loss. It's a lot of the the pain of divorce, you know, that situation there. That kind of stuff makes for great records, though, I noticed. As painful as it is to go through, you can turn that pain into pure music. Sure. I think a lot of, I think we've all been through it. How many times in a relationship has something crumbled and you've watched somebody walk away and you're thinking you just, you want to say something, but nothing comes out. And then once it's all over... You know, you say to yourself, "Well, I, I should have said this, or I should have said that," and that's where the that's where the record came from. Everything you've never said. Wow. Well, we're lucky to be musicians because, in my estimation, that's kind of what helps us get through it. There are yeah. people that don't have that outlet well, that go right. through these things. You know. Well, I want to play Twenty One Summers, something off it for our listeners right now. People that were either weren't paying attention last week or weren't here, check this out.
I wrote that one, I remember vividly, I wrote it in a laundromat when I was uh, in New York City. I remember there was a string of things that was just going wrong, one thing after another after another. <clears throat> and you, you think to yourself, when it rains, it pours. And I just remember thinking to myself, God, I, just, I, I can't deal with one more thing. And as soon as I said that one more thing, I thought, well, there, there's a great title. And that was it. And it just basically, so that's what the song's basically about. It's like, oh, here we go again. How's the album selling? It's selling well. Uh, I just got notification for, I'm getting uh, consistent sales through CD Baby, uh, downloads, uh, everything. It's quarterly. Mm -hmm. So like right now, I don't know what's selling until the end of the quarter. And then I get a royalty check and it'll give you the breakdown of the the royalties some of your material charts over in europe pretty well doesn't it yeah yeah i've, I've done real well in fact i just got notification that the song lose just hit number nine on the scottish uh global music charts wow yeah so that was that was kind of cool yeah. what is Bugbird productions that's um, that's basically my company, and it kind of, it, it's an umbrella of like everything I do in media. My music, any scoring for film, any production or post-production work I do in film or radio or what have you. So it's blanketed, and everyone always asks what Bug Bird is. And I had a buddy of mine, Joe, who lived down the street from me, and he turned me on. To, he's older than I am, but so he turned me on to so much cool stuff. From his generation, he turned me on to like Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground and mm -hmm. Tom Waits and all this really cool stuff. And there was a this bizarre beat poet named Lord Buckley, and you can you can see his, he's got recordings of it. He talks his work on like YouTube, but what he would do it he, he would take these classic works by Poe uh, and other people like he did the Raven. But instead of the, what he does is he changes these classic pieces of literature and he does them in a beatnik kind of term. And he was this older dude doing it. And when he was talking to the, we were talking about the raven, and instead of saying the raven, he would say, the bug bird, Jack. <laughs> and I just thought, of like, wow, this guy's really cool. Did he snap? Yeah, bird? right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I just, I fell in love with the word bug bird because he's like this. Bug bird. Yeah, like this bird is so cool. He's a bug bird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, I never would have guessed that. No. Yeah, never that's guessed. where it comes from. 
Now, you have a little bit of background in film, particularly mm-hmm. where sound is concerned. You've done some sound engineering, I believe, on, on some films, or you went to school for it, right? Uh, yeah, I have a degree in um, production and post-production in film and, and audio. And How light. does film play into the entire JD career? I mean, it, yeah. it must be part of the whole package. Yeah, it's funny because when I was a little kid, I was I was an average I was a below average kid in in school. Not until I got to college did I start to excel. I was so bored in school it wasn't funny. I would all day long I would stare out the window and I would picture myself out there making a movie. When I was a kid, I never played if you're going to play Army Man, I never played Army Man. I played we're making a movie about army men and I'd get the guys together and go okay now wait hold on the director's and he's gonna and action and they're all looking at me like what the hell's the matter with this guy so my whole educational career up, up until college the thing I heard the most was eyes forward Mr. Schrader because I was just staring out the window and then I'd look out the window and picture myself on a concert stage and so they kind of ran parallel I love film and I love music I love how they they're intertwined together I love how they're separate I've worked in many aspects of film I mean from directing to LD lighting director to scoring to doing the underscore uh, post-production you know you name it I've I've done a lot of things how old of a guy are you John 53 53 we're a similar age I can relate to so many of the things you're saying especially looking out the window in school and pretending you're making a movie I, I mean you know, what did Rodney Dangerfield say in Back to School? I, I, I used to dream about college when I fell asleep in high school. <laughs> right. So right. Uh, I can relate to all that. Yeah. What At 53, mm-hmm. what's your perspective on, you know, making it per se? Because, yeah. you know, when you work in this business for a long time yeah. and you haven't gotten exactly where you wanted mm-hmm. to go, you start saying, is this ever going to happen? Sure. And, and we never give up. I mean, sure. my gosh, you, you got another album coming right. out. What are your goals now and how have they changed at this age? I think I think my goals now are I just I just want to be happy and healthy. You know, you always have in the back of your head, you know, it'd be nice to, to have that huge house on the river and, and people calling you to do radio or to be in a film or to work on a film and to have that consistent flow of work that you're getting paid heavily for and then you can kind of relax a little bit because you've reached that level. I still think of that. I don't think of it in terms of the way I did when I was 19. Like, you know, when I was a kid, I just wanted to be Elvis. I wanted to be up there. I wanted women to, to paw after me, and I wanted to be chased down the street. And now as I've gotten older, I've gotten more serious about it. I just want to write music uh, that connects with people. We can't run down the street anymore. <laughs> <laughs> i got to hail a cab. <laughs> But I hear you. You just want to do good work right. and have people enjoy yeah. the music. Right. In the end, if you hang in this business long enough, by the time you're our age, you start to realize what's really important about what we're doing. Yeah. It's about the music. Yeah. I've played for people in uh, hospitals, people who had ALS. All they could move is their eyes. I've played for the kids at Albany Medical Center and the Cancer Center which was the, the most difficult, yet rewarding, but the absolute most difficult thing in the world for me wow, because I knew what it was like to be in those beds. Mm. But I went, remember going up thinking, well, it's not going to be this bed. This is going to be great. And we played in a big like lobby area first, and there's kids all over the place. And I think we did a cover of Free Fallen. And one girl who was probably about 16 or 17, she looked at me, and she started crying, and she ran out the room. And at that moment... 
I knew this is not going to go how I thought it was going to go. So then they said to me, do you guys want to go up to the floors and play for the kids who can't come out of their rooms? I said, sure, no problem. And we got up there and we started going from room to room to room and I could feel it just welling up inside of me. It was just bringing it all back. We went into, and we were playing Christmas songs. We went into one, we were doing um, Little Drummer Boy acoustic and this one girl, so I'm trying to play and this girl who was 14, she's laying in her bed, all of a sudden she starts crying and she reaches up for my hand and I stopped playing and I'm holding her hand but I kept singing while the other guys kept playing. And it was that, and then we went in, and there was this baby attached to more tubes than any adult should be attached to. And the mother was in there, and I just remember her confidence and her her faith that her baby was going to be fine. And we we couldn't play instruments. And the baby's heart rate was so low, and they couldn't get the heart rate to come up. So we just went in, and I said, well, let's just do an a cappella version of Silent Night. So we sang three-part harmonies, Silent Night. And they're, they're, mon- they're going, oh, my God, the baby's his heart rate is, is coming up. And then I knew, so we get out, and the, the nursing staff is following us. The CEO is following us. The organization who asked me to come up is following us through the halls. I get out into the hall after that baby, and I'm thinking, i got to find a place to break down. Yeah. But everybody was following me. So I just see this hallway that went to a dark area. So I'll be right back, guys. I, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what I said. I went around the corner, and I lost it. And the guy that organized it, all of a sudden he peered, he tapped me on the shoulder, George. He's a motivational speaker across the country now. And he says, I understand, man. He mm-hmm. says, if you want to stop, we can stop. And I just, at that moment, I said, this is not about me. And I wasn't trying to be any hero. Mm-hmm. I just said, this, it's, it's about them. So I said, I'll stop when we reach every single room. And, and we did. But it was rough. The and power, that's what it's about. The power of music is yeah. uh, mystical. Yeah. It's miraculous. Yeah. Uh, you got a fascinating story here, John. Uh, one day they might uh, make a film about you. And Rusty you'll... will. Rusty will. <laughs> we might need you to do uh, the sound, though. Sure, sure. On, on I wish you continued success with 21 Summers. I hope your next album is successful as well. Thank you. I'm pulling for you. I love the album. I've, I've listened to it a bunch. I've wanted you to come on the show and talk about it because now I'm a fan. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Why don't we play one more song off it before we get out of here? Sure.
John, I can't thank you enough for stopping by and sharing your music and your philosophies and stories about your career. Come back anytime. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you and Rusty. Uh, I, I'll, I'll come back anytime you guys want me to. You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, produced and engineered every week by Rusty Johnson. If you like what you've heard, click to subscribe. Join us next week for another Hudson Valley talent, and we'll see you then. Thank you.